Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Linden, and I am the president of the International Association of Veterinary Social Work, and you're listening to an episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Welcome to the Animal Academy podcast. I'm Allison White, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker who specializes in the human-animal connection. This podcast will showcase professionals who share their areas of expertise in an ongoing series of interviews, and you are there. Their input, stories, and knowledge will help us all understand that we are the ones that actually end up learning from the animals. This is the Animal Academy Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Animal Academy Podcast. There are so many benefits to having animals as part of our lives, and a special benefit is their ability to provide emotional support. Besides unconditional love, they have a natural instinct to heal in a way that is often difficult to explain. In the last podcast episode, I mentioned that clients would often come to my office to specifically speak with my therapy dog while I watched their interaction. I witnessed the calming effect at work and felt it in my own personal life with my animal companions. We know that animals have many positive effects, and my guest today, Jane Miller, will discuss some of the work she has done using animals as healers. Jane, welcome to this episode of the podcast. Thanks so much. It's a real pleasure to be here, and I look forward to sharing my journey and the love of my work and my passion. So here I'm here to share the amazing transformational changes that dogs can bring to the lives of so many of us. And I can't wait to hear more about this. So could you tell me a little bit about how you got started working with animals? You know, it's always interesting. It starts so early in life, I feel, for me at least. When I was young, I was always out saving animals that were hurt, birds, just a real connection to the animal world and to nature. And I was very inspired by Jane Goodall. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, in fourth grade... I got involved in an organization called Save Our Seals. I don't know if you were around during the times when the little beautiful seal pups were being battered. Yes, unfortunately. And it was horrifying. And I was a child that just my heart, I felt like I was being smacked with those, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what they would be called, paddles it looked like they were killing them with, but I felt it so deeply. And so I got my whole class in my fourth grade to donate money to save our seals and came very much a little advocate and activist and at that moment came home and said, I'm never eating meat again. And my mother looked at me and said, oh my God, what am I going to do? I can't stop you. Once you set your mind on something, <laughs> you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. So I've been a vegetarian ever since and I'm now 60. So it's been a long journey with that. But it started with my real compassion and commitment to understanding all animals are sacred and uh, really have sentient life lives that are so potent in our world and help us and we can help them. So that was my drive. But the thing that really got me involved in animals as training and where I am now was Jane Goodall. I knew at that moment that I told my mother, and it was the same year, fourth grade, my transformational year, that I said, when I grow up, I want to be Jane Goodall. And I wasn't sure how I was going to go about that one, 
But I knew that I had to figure out some way to integrate animals into my work. But I didn't want to be a veterinarian because I really wanted to help animals live healthier lives in a way that could have a huge impact on people's lives. So it was the melding of the two things that I'm now doing, which was way back then. I got involved in, oh, intensive training and dog training at a very young age. Um, And in those days, it wasn't what it is today. And thank God we've made major changes and shifts in how we train dogs. I was not really, though, one that uh, understood why you would ever abuse an animal or mistreat it. So I kind of wasn't um, accepted by most people the way I trained which was all positive reward-based training, Mm -hmm. and really building a bond and a communication between myself and the dog. The dog that really started my whole uh, journey into this whole sphere was my very first dog that was given to me by my father named Tasha. And she grew up with us when I was quite young, Till the mid-teens, and teenagehood is not fun for any of us, Mm -mm. and the connection I had with Tasha was truly remarkable. When I would be feeling something, she would mirror it. She just was an incredibly, I I know lots of trainers don't believe these words, but intuitive and emotionally connected and bonded. What I would say is if you don't believe in intuition, it's maybe the energy they're picking up Mm -hmm. within us, and it resonates, and they can really feel it. So they respond to it. What kind of dog was Tasha? Tasha was a black Labrador retriever. Okay. And she was just an amazing dog. She went everywhere with me, and I trained her. And it was like a really magical friendship that was filled with unconditional love at a time when I had parents of divorce, and so there, there were lots of things going on. She was my stable force. As I was growing up, I decided I would go to med school and become a holistic complementary medicine doctor because from a very young age, I I taught myself meditation, visualization, all kinds of modalities of healing that most people didn't even know about. But it was the 60s, and everybody was doing all kinds of things. As I got older, I realized I really want to help other people discover other ways of healing and dealing with life and the traumas of life, I ended up deciding to go to med school, got into med school, and realized, you know, in this country and where we are at this time, it's very unlikely that I'll be able to practice the way I'd like to be able to practice without having to deal with health insurance and all those things Mm -hmm. that would not be reimbursable for holistic methodologies. So I ended up deciding to become a psychotherapist, and I have been a clinical licensed independent social worker for 30 years, Mm -hmm. and my specialty was working with trauma survivors, so people that have been through experience of childhood abuse, whether emotional, physical, or sexual, and during that time, I'm going to start by sharing a little bit of a story from my book, if you don't mind. No, not at all. So my book... It is called Healing Companions, Ordinary Dogs and Their Extraordinary Power to Transform Lives. And I wrote it because I really wanted people to know that there are many different options for what can help people be able to deal with the difficulties of life and the challenges that we face. I'm going to read from the book a very short, brief snippet here. 
In our fast-paced world, doctors are often quick to advise patients suffering from traumatic stress, depression, anxiety, and other emotional and psychological problems that their ills can be solved through the use of one medication or another. Too many people think the pill itself is, in quotes, a magic bullet. That will make their lives happier, easier, and more secure. It isn't. Medications must be taken under careful supervision, and many antidepressant drugs carry the risk of negative side effects, including the extreme cases of suicidal tendencies. Although many individuals do require medication, which has helped countless people, there are other pill-free choices that are extremely beneficial and may not have been considered. And I want to add to that, there's nothing wrong with medication, but sometimes medication and even psychotherapy with medication is not really going to help someone function with their activities of daily living as a service dog can mm-hmm. help them do. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to describe how we, what, how we train them and what that all means. For many people, one choice that they may never have heard of, either by itself or in combination with drug therapy and psychotherapy, that make all the difference. Service dogs have been assisting the blind, the hearing impaired, and those in wheelchairs and with other disabilities for a long time. There are also therapy dogs who help enhance quality of life for many people by visiting hospitals, nursing homes, and other institutions, providing comfort and support. Umaya, this is the dog that started me on this journey, and mm-hmm. I'll talk about her after I finish reading this. Umaya's strength and calming influence were a revelation to me, and when I saw the way that my clients responded to her, I began to realize that having a dog could have a profound impact on some of my clients' lives. This is not just the story of our journey, however. It's a window into the world of psychiatric service dogs for people with invisible disability, showing how the dogs can change and enhance the lives of their human companions. In the following chapters, we'll meet some of these amazing dogs, and I go on. What I want to say is that Omaya was a beautiful red golden retriever that I got the day, about two days after I bought the house that I now live in, and it had no furniture, and this was in 1992. She arrived at this little fur ball and was this wonderful golden retriever, and it was a, a very beautiful uh, coalescence of human and animal meeting and coming together. And one of the first experiences we had was when I got her, and I thought this was very funny. She was a really dark red golden, and I immediately picked her up, and she was cuddling with me on my lap, and there were six or seven other puppies, but I picked her up. And all of a sudden, she started jumping up, and, like, she had to get out of my arms, and I put her down, and she peed. And I thought, <laughs> wow, that's the dog for me. A dog's <laughs> not going to pee on me. <laughs> and I brought her home, and she had the whole house, because no furniture was here, uh, to run around like a, a crazy girl. And it was a wonderful little puppy, and... She, at age four, I believe it's four, she ended up uh, getting a lump on her back, hmm. fibro- a fibrosarcoma, which is very mm-hmm. rare. But we had to drive all the way for her to get radiation so that the skin cancer, so it's a type of skin cancer, would not spread. I was taking her to radiation all the way an hour away from my house, which is right near where I worked as a psychotherapist. And she started coming to work with me, and it changed the whole therapeutic milieu. It was really amazing. How did it change the milieu? 
Well, first thing, when you come to see a psychotherapist, you're not very happy usually, and so we'd have people out in the waiting room, and uh, if you know golden retrievers, they always mm-hmm. stuff their mouths with toys. Of course. <laughs> they, it's what I called it, she was making the rounds. She would drop toys in everybody's lap, and I'd be in session with another client, and she'd be out there dropping toys in everybody's lap, and we'd hear people giggling and laughing, having the time of their life out in the waiting room before going in for therapy. <laughs> and I think they all, like, really loved coming to our group practice because they got to play with Amaya. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be out there playing tug and throwing balls with her. That was one way. But the most astounding way was I had had many clients that were not in touch with their emotions. And Umaya, as we were talking about earlier, would pick up on people's energy or their somehow know what was going on. She could immediately get in tune with what was resonating inside their body. So I'd have a client come in. They might be really angry, and she'd run and she'd get, to, get her bone and start chewing on it voraciously. And if they were really sad, she'd go over and put her head on their lap or she'd go get the Kleenex box and bring it to them. This dog was just like, I didn't train her to do any of these things. She just did them. And I had clients that would come in and say, I didn't know I was feeling angry, because they'd be looking at Umaya. And one day, one of my clients who has what's called now DID, which is Dissociative Identity Disorder, otherwise known as previously Multiple Personality Disorder, and she was on, and I'd been seeing her for quite some time, and this had never come up, this had never come out. She was on the floor with Umaya, and I walk in, and she's talking completely differently. The voice was of a child. And Umaya was lying there, and she kept going on and on. And I, just, I just observed. I didn't say a word. That ended, and I came in, and we started our session, and the next day she brought in her journal. And she said, this is what I wrote last night. And she handed it to me, and it was huge letters that were scribbled by, like, someone that would be maybe six. And she said, yeah, somebody wrote this, but it's me. <laughs> and all of a sudden, she it's like she a door was opened through Umaya mm-hmm. by playing with Umaya on the floor that were how she how she speaks about her her parts. She calls them her parts. So she she then discovered all her parts, and it was really amazing. She was in a very non threatening environment, and the unconditional love that she was given by your dog really helped bring that yes. out. Yes, and a connection she'd never had with mm-hmm. anything or anybody. She mm-hmm. was severely abused growing up, so it was safe, you know. And she would sit there on the floor, and this was like probably five years into therapy with me, and be petting Omaya and be telling me details of of her incest abuse, and not even be aware of what she was sharing mm-hmm. because she was so involved with being with Omaya. That's incredible. And so, so many ways in which she became kind of the catalyst. To the work I do today, because she opened so many doors for so many people. So I'm gonna I'll share a little story about her that you might enjoy too. Mm-hmm. But uh, with that, all my clients got very connected to her. 
and then more connected to me and more trust and more secure. What was ama- The other thing that was amazing is that she knew when a client needed space. She knew when a client needed to be cuddled with or not cuddled with. She knew when she should go away from them. She just had this knack of really understanding what was, what was needed at the time. And she got that information from the body language of the human. So it was a pretty powerful time for me watching her open, like I said, these doors that were not going to open in with other possibilities. And so she was a therapy dog. She, she got, I got her certified as a therapy dog. She did also do visits at the Veterans uh, Hospital mm-hmm. and you know, an old uh, an assisted living facility near here. She was really a talented girl, and she touched all these lives. And so when she finally died, I not only was grieving, but all my clients were. Oh, of course. So it was a very interesting experience because I felt like she gave them so much that I had to give them something back in return to honor her and their relationship. So we had a memorial service for my dog, and I you might think I'm crazy, but it was No, not at all. Days. It it's was important. Gorgeous. It was probably 50 to 100 people showed up. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And all of the cl- my clients showed up. My mother flew in from Vermont. I live in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And we had a incredible ceremony in front of the pond that she would swim in every day. Oh, how awesome. And... The memorial service was we sent out to everybody that knew Omaya if they wanted to write something, they could. And if they weren't able to attend, we would read their eulogy. So we have about 50 eulogies written about my dog. And some and some of them are in the book. And they're really powerful because of her, how she impacted them. And, and just knowing her, you know, people that barely even knew her, but they knew her spirit. And they saw the spirit she and I shared. And my favorite saying is, you've got to enjoy every moment you have on earth and cherish every moment. And she lived that. I mean, she went through cancer twice, and she just was like, "Uh uh-uh, it's another day. Come on, let's go. Mm -hmm. Let's go run around the room. And that was another thing about being in the office. She was coming from radiation therapy treatment. And if you you saw her, she was, her back was uh, all bald because they had, shaved it mm-hmm. for the radiation, and she had all these radia- radiation points, I don't know what you call them, at her hip area. And she looked like a very sick dog, but boy, did she not behave like one. They can be really stoic, can't they? Oh, amazingly. And that can be a good thing. It is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But it also can be that then they mask a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> like, who knows how long she was living with this, but that's, you know... It's it's really it's inspiring and and for people that are really struggling to get through every day to see that to see that this dog has been traumatized but look at her look at how she's facing the day and look and the spirit she has and the lust for life and how she can live in the moment right yes and that's so much of what therapy is about because when you're a trauma survivor you're not living in the moment you're mm-hmm. living in the past or you're reliving the past all the time and getting triggered all the time. Mm-hmm. So for them to see this animal 
come from radiation treatment and be energetic and be filled with life and to be so present when probably, you know, we would be home sleeping or in pain or mm-hmm. complaining, mm-hmm. you know. The other thing that I wanted to share with you is when they, when my clients would get anxious, you know, our breathing rate goes up and our stress levels are really at a high pitch and our cortisol level goes up and, you know, lots of things are happening with our hormones. Well, I would, they would get on the floor with Umaya and they'd start petting her and I would teach them how to change their breathing and they would see Umaya's breathing change. Mm-hmm. So it was a really wonderful way for them to learn how to detox and de-stress while also helping Umaya become calmer. I actually just talked to a client about that this morning when I met with them, and I said, you know, you've got a dog. Why don't we practice breathing along with your mm-hmm. dog so you can reduce mm-hmm. your own stress level? And they had never thought about that. Yeah. So when Umaya and I went to the beach when she was quite young, I meditated on the beach. So I'd be getting into this glazed-over state. <laughs> and I, I looked, looked over to her, and she'd be in the same state. You should have seen her eyes. They were just like, so she looked like she was drugged, but she wasn't drugged. She was just <laughs> meditating. So I, I, I put a cue word to it. I said, go to the ocean. Well, this was hysterical. We could be walking outside with all the distractions outside. And I'd say, let's go to the ocean. She'd lie down, and <laughs> her eyes would get all glazed over. So she, I could cue her. And now with my clients, I teach, they use the word easy usually or calm mm-hmm. down or, or calm or whatever. But I, I always used to go to the ocean. And they, when they saw Umaya go to the ocean, it helped them go to the ocean. Oh, I love so, that. Yeah. yeah. So that's, okay, so now how did I get into service belt training? So in the early 1990s, the American Disabilities Act was enacted. And that changed the whole landscape of what was available for people with what we call invisible disabilities. What are invisible disabilities? Well, we have a whole ma- a lot of them, many of them. We have, if you're hearing impaired, nobody knows you're not able to hear, so that's invisible, that's not seen. Rather, rather than in a wheelchair, you see the wheelchair and you mm-hmm. see it. And even blind people, you usually see a cane. Mm-hmm. But with with Psychiatric, with people with mental illness, it's, it's internal. It's not external. You're not going to see it. You're not going to see someone who has seizures. You're not going to see that they have seizures. You're not going to see someone that has a chemical sensitivity to peanut butter, for example. You know, so these, there are many different indivisible disabilities. And in some ways that can make it harder because when you go out and about, they don't know, well, why does she have a dog that has a vest on that says, you know, I'm your service dog. What's what, what's that all about? Is 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 that for real? Mm-hmm. Whereas five dogs and all, the other dogs I mentioned, they're visible and people know that, that that's what you need. So when the American Disability Act was enacted, it provided for people with invisible disabilities to have dogs, to have service dogs. Now, service dogs. Let's go through a little definitions here. Service dogs and Therapy dogs and emotional support animals are all very different categories. So I I work with service dogs. Umaya was a therapy dog. What is a therapy dog? A therapy dog is a dog that gets certified under some of the major 
Therapy Dogs International. There's many different organizations that can certify dogs to be able to handle going into hospitals, visiting people in hospitals, visiting people at assisted living facilities, visiting people at, uh, at libraries to do what's called dog read, where kids read to the dog. So there are many different ways in which dogs can help many people at once. Service dogs are similar. Think about guide dogs. They are a dog that has been extremely highly trained to navigate for their handler. And I, I use the word handler. I'm not big on some of the terminology a lot of people use for service dogs. Uh, our service dogs, psychiatric service dogs, help to mitigate the effects of the symptoms of the person, okay? So it's not based on diagnosis. Therefore, unlike guide dogs, almost every guide dog does the same thing for every person. I have trained multiple dogs over the years, and every single one of them is trained different tasks specific to that individual's needs. So, for example, let's say you have bad nightmares. The dog might be trained to wake you up at night, lead you into the living room, go retrieve the remote control, drop it in your lap, you turn on the TV, you watch something on TV. Once you've got the nightmare out of your system, you can go back to bed. The dog might tr be trained to deal with, if you have an eating disorder, to go get food for you every few hours if you are anorexic. Uh, if you are an overeater, the dog might... I'll give you an example of one of my clients that was an overeater. Mm -hmm. She would pace while she was eating. So we trained her dog to follow her as she was being paced and, and grab her sleeve and direct her to a chair mm -hmm. and would have her sit down, and then the dog would stare at her. And she hated being stared at when she was eating. And she realized, oh, my God, I'm eating. She didn't realize she was, you know, eating. So this was the way she got, she was able to not overeat. Other dogs have been trained for folks that need to take medication at certain times to go retrieve the medication from a bag that it's held in. They can um, retrieve the bag, bring it to the person, and bring them a bottle of water from the fridge. Anxiety. So the tasks are tailored to each person. And also anxiety. Exactly. Yeah. And anxiety is the, one of the, the biggies, especially with post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. And so let's say you're having a, a panic attack or high anxiety level in a grocery store. The dog will either lead you out of that area or will have you lean against you or nudge you or paw you, whatever you're needing. So I had one client that was severely abused at the deli section of a grocery store. And when she'd go shopping, she would take one of those stress balls with her. And one day she was in the store shopping, and the stress ball, she burst it. it, it mm. All the stuff inside came flying Oh, out. no. So we decided that clearly her hands were sweating, but she also needed to squeeze something. So that became the cue for the dog. We would ha she would have a Kleenex in her hand, and when she squeezed the Kleenex, the dog knew that I have to paw and nudge her and lean against her to, to get her back to being mm -hmm. present. It's amazing. I have another client that dissociated, but she would, does everybody know what dissociating means? If they don't, it's kind of like 
you're not presently. For anybody that's driven anywhere, when you leave your house and you've been driving the same drive every day, you don't. You sometimes are like, "How did I get there?" Like you weren't really mm-hmm. present at all while you were driving to to navigate because it was so automatic. But you're you're not you're not fully present. And she would be driving, and what was so amazing was we didn't. I I only learned this because I was in the car with her once, and all of a sudden she started reaching for her chapstick. Her chapstick, when she reached for her chapstick, that was the cue that she was about to dissociate. So the dog would see the chapstick being put on mm-hmm. and would paw her and put its head, she, the dog was in the back seat, put its head on her shoulder, and that would get her to know to pull over. Cause she That's was pretty amazing. It wasn't safe to drive. Yeah. That's really amazing. There's an organization in town who I went to one of their graduations and they had they trained a psychiatric service dog for somebody who'd been in the war and was suffering from PTSD and the dog was trained to walk next to him and whenever they'd go around the corner the dog would la- actually look first or yeah. when yeah. he would stop yeah. the dog would turn yeah. around so he actually was looking at the guy t- at, you know toward the back Mm-hmm. And that made this guy feel very comfortable, like somebody had his back. Exactly. Well, and that's all my clients. All the dogs, they, they learn to either lie down behind them or next to them if they're mm-hmm. out shopping because the, the hypervigilance is so apparent and they need, they need to feel safe and the dog provides that. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I train dogs to do is to do what's called a room check. So many of the clients I work with have been raped and they've been raped at all different times, but specifically in a dark room. And coming into a dark house can be very scary. And so the dog goes in first, goes into every room and turns the lights on and checks the room. You know, dogs are very, if if someone's come in your house, they will let you know Mm -hmm. something's not right. Mm -hmm. They have that sense. They pick it up. And then the lights are on. Yeah, I don't have to do for your electric bill. But the dog has turned all the lights on to make it so that you feel safe coming in. And what's so different about the work I do is it's the bringing together my two passions, which mm-hmm. is psychotherapy, and working with dogs. And really what's so magical about the whole thing is it's really, you know, we talk about dog training and all these different techniques. What's most important to me is that there's this bond and connection and mm-hmm. It's just really watching the body language and learning the cues. And a lot of my clients really even struggle to know how to pet a dog. They've never had healthy touch. And and being able to have something you love that loves you back is a whole new experience. And so I think it's really important that a lot of the work at the beginning is just Becoming comfortable in your own skin with another being in your home and a living, sentient being that isn't going to abuse you and that isn't going to hurt you and that, you don't, that you're not going to hurt. Well, and Jane, in um, past podcasts, I talked to different animal trainers and they said similar things that besides actually teaching skills, it's best to just bond with your dog first. You need to develop that connection before you do anything else. So yeah, it's so amazing. It's really very powerful. And, you know, heel comes next, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and all those sure. things. But this is why my program is so unique, because it's, we're saving the lives of shelter dogs. 
and that transform the lives of people with mental health issues. And what I mean by that is the reason we have decided to go the route of, ser- of service dogs that are shelter dogs is because none of my clients can handle puppies. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be, you know, just like That's a lot much. of work. Yeah, a lot of work and stressful and anxiety-provoking. So we adopt dogs that are one and a half to two years old and been very blessed by getting incredible dogs. And it's sad to say, but COVID-19 has been terrible for shelters because a lot of them mm-hmm. had to close and all that. Mm-hmm. But there are more, uh, more one-and-a-half to two-year-olds that are potential psychiatric service dogs because they came from really good homes and they were trained and you know they got good care that are now available because of economics, because of deaths, because of all kinds of reasons. But why one-and-a-half to two-year-old shelter dogs? First of all, my clients, they're saving the life of another trauma survivor. Mm-hmm. And for them, the connection is really powerful that, you know, I've saved this dog's life who's going to save my life. And I just think that's really magical. Oh, that is, that's beautiful. Yeah. And they they decide which dog, you know, it's not, it's really them feeling comfortable. And during the meet and greet, the most important thing is that whether the dog might make it as a potential service dog or not, which ne- we never know with even puppies or any dogs, is this person feeling connected to this dog mm-hmm. when they first meet? Is it comfortable? Is it is this what they, you know, like my last uh, match was Puggle, huh? a pug beagle. Marvin's his name. Marvin Marvin is one and a half years old, and he just cuddled with her. For her, that's what she needs. She needs a real cuddler. And so, you know, we ne- I always let my clients know, we never know if it's going to work out. You know, you can't predict two years when what's going to be a year later after they've been trained where they're at and if this is the right place, mm-hmm. if this is the right job for them. Mm-hmm. But we get a sense, and we do a, a pretty intensive temperament testing and get a real sense if they're, they're, they're trainable and all that stuff. But I, I make them commit to that they have to keep the dog to the life of the dog, whether it works out or not, because I'm not one that wants dogs going back to the shelters. No, not at all. You know, we talked uh, in another podcast about kind of a safety plan. And for yeah. somebody with mental health issues that may need to be hospitalized, you know, depending on the chronicity of it. They need to have some kind of a plan, right? Yes, they do. As a matter of fact, I I go further than that. (laughs) What if they die? I want them to know that they have a will that says where the dog is. And they need to have a fund for their dog. Mm -hmm. So my ethical standards are extremely high. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the dog comes first. I really believe these are the voiceless and they need my voice to speak up for the welfare of their care. And they're, and it's not just for, our, like, hospital. It's for, you know, what if one of the days you're really depressed? Who's going to walk your dog that day? Mm-hmm. Are you going to be able to get, do it? But, but can you guarantee that? And if not, do you have a support system? Exactly. Do you have people that will help you out? There's many issues that come up that you really have to be someone that understands mental health because, like, things like, you know, when, when you dissociate, what, what do many people do when they dissociate? They drop the leash. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not a good idea. So there are many ways we work around all these things. Mm-hmm. And training, they're doing the training of the dog with me. So that's, that's what's so incredible, that they work with me for a year and a half to two years training their dog to be their service dog. 
but I want the dog to be trained by them so that it really does build that bond. And then the dog lives with them, you mm-hmm. know, so the whole, it's a really beautiful relationship and the connection is so essential to the healing process. I think that's and wonderful, teach, Jane. Yeah. So, and I teach all my clients stress reduction techniques and relaxation techniques for humans and their animals. So I teach them how to work on breathing exercises with mm-hmm. their dog, acupressure points. I'm an acupressure person. Mm-hmm. And T-touch and all different techniques that I've kind of put together. I do Reiki. I teach them how to do some energy work on their do- with their dog. And also the most important thing is that these are dogs. They're not just there to work 20... 20- People don't work 24-7. And one of the gifts dogs bring to many of my clients is play. And really helping them get out into the world with just taking walks and having some time off, downtime, time that's just totally involved with play or having a good time. Or getting out of their heads. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The other part of dogs, which are so phenomenal for mentally ill people or for people that struggle with getting through their days, is activities of living, which are called Mm -hmm. ADLs. Mm -hmm. Things like getting up and brushing your teeth, getting up and taking your medication, getting up and feeding yourself. Well, a dog, as you know, and many people that are going to be listening know, they love routine, love routine. So your dog gets up, you get up. In Ohio, you can't not put clothes on if you're going to have to take your dog out, especially in the winter. So you get dressed, which some people have struggled with. They take their dog out. When their dog comes back and they have to feed their dog, therefore they feed themselves. They give their dog their pills. They take their own pills or the dog delivers them to them. They brush their teeth, the dog's teeth. They brush their own teeth. My mm-hmm. clients brush their dog's teeth every day, mm-hmm. and I do too. <laughs> and I think that it really helps them keep a schedule and a routine, you know, and, and that's very hard for most people. And it makes them responsible for another living being as well. Yeah. I was going to ask about your program, Animals as Healers, which was on PBS. What was that about? Yeah. Yeah, well, it was wonderful. And this was many, many years ago. I was asked to participate in a program at uh, WOUB. As many of you know, PBS has many stations. So Boston has their station. Philadelphia has WKYY. KYY, I think. I don't know. Where are you? Where are you located? St. Louis, Missouri. Do you have a PBS station there? That's just your yes. PBS station? Yeah. Yes. These are smaller stations. It's not... The national PBS, that's different, um, but it's a part of PBS, one of their uh, local stations. Mm. And they did a program on animals as healers, and it was, well, it was really broader than that, but animals was one of the sections. It was about healing. And so I did one on Qigong, which is something, I, I teach Qigong, which is a meditative martial art, mm-hmm. and I did a program on that for that show, for that series. It was a series. The Animals is Healing show was on me and my organization, Healing Companions, and another woman who did equine therapy and her program. Mm-hmm. And we went down, and that was with Umaya. Umaya was in that program. It was really wonderful. And we spoke about the healing power of dogs, and this was pretty early on in my starting the process of having service dogs as part of what I do. And so I told the story of Amaya. And, you know, I never really finished that story. So that client that uh, her parts came out, she ended up 
becoming suicidal at one point and decided she needed to go into a hospital to be safe. She went into the hospital, and when she was coming out, she said, I, I think I want a dog. And I said, you want a dog? And I, I was shocked. I said, you can barely take care of yourself right now. You really think you can take care of a dog? And I said, do you really just need a dog or do you need an Amaya? And she knew exactly what I was saying. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, I think I need an Amaya. <laughs> she was my very first service dog client. Okay. On the day she got out of the hospital, we went straight to the shelter. She found Nina, her first my, her first dog. She now has her second dog. Mm -hmm. And she's the first chapter in my book. Awesome. And she's the one that kind of led me down the path that was meant to be for my life. I owe it to her. Well, and Jane, and, you know, when you were talking yes. about your background and how you first started when you were a child, isn't that interesting how you were so certain as a young child that this is what you were going to do? Yeah, yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? It is. How, and I think that's true of many people. Mm -hmm. That If we really get in touch with what we, what our passion was, very few people are willing to see that as what they're going to spend their life doing, their passion. You know, living out what you love. And in, in between, I did all kinds of, I studied, uh, I did a whole two-year project on studying red kangaroos, maybe a rufa, and their behavior in the wilderness versus being in zoos, because mm -hmm. I was not a zoo fan. And got the Philadelphia Zoo to change their, their caging system for the kangaroos, which was pretty amazing. And I went and got certified as a hawk handler through the British School of Falconry. So it, it's like my whole world was so so much about animals, and still is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I horseback ride. You know, it's like this is my life. And to be able to then live it as what I, I do for my living is pretty, it's a gift. It's a real gift. I'm well, very blessed. Well, and also to be able to share your dogs with other people and also encourage that passion that can make them feel better when medications may not have done everything that were expected to be done. Well, and, and medications do maybe help you sleep better or maybe help you, but do they help you function at work? Mm -hmm. Now, think about the fact that if you're about to have an anxiety attack or a panic attack, your dog can help you at work, be able to keep functioning and working. <laughs> Whereas, what med's going to help you at that moment? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, so it's it's pretty interesting to think that here another living creature, an animal, can make it feasible for you to function in a more productive way mm -hmm. and navigate through your days without the fears at the same level and the difficulties and the challenges that you were carrying around before. And you get pretty immediate feedback with dogs, too. Yeah, you really do. <laughs> they're very, they're very, I love when you said about how building that bond, I think I shared with you before we started the show that I just uh, was given a beautiful golden retriever who's 10 years old and she's just a love bug, but she has some issues and it's interesting, you know, I didn't know what, what her issues were and we got to my house and she didn't want to come into the house through the garage. And mm. I was like, hmm, I wonder what this is about. And I thought, well, maybe it's it's darker in there. She doesn't want to go through. And she backed out of her collar. Oh, and I gosh. was just like, oh, my God. I don't, she doesn't know where she lives. 
not a good thing. <laughs> so I don't know if she has recall. Well, I learned she does have recall, thank God. And she came coming back. She came running back. But she would not go through that threshold. Hmm. So I brought her in the front door. And by Wednesday, I got her on Monday. By Wednesday, we had really bonded. <laughs> she walks through the garage with no problem at all. Amazing. So what I'm sharing is the trust started to happen. Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't know you. Why Why would I? And what I found out, I, I contacted the person that gave me her, his dog, because he couldn't. He had to go into assisted living. And uh, he said, oh, she doesn't like changes in thresholds. Oh. <laughs> well, she had told me that when I got her, <laughs> but okay. And he said, the, the reason I didn't say anything is because she's pretty much gotten it o- over with, with us, you know, with him. And that's because she trusted him. Well, she didn't. She didn't trust me at all when we were coming through. Mm-hmm. And so, within two days, once the trust was there, she built up confidence that she knows who I am, and that I'm a good person. I've been loved. You know, I've been cuddling with her. She walked right through. She didn't even realize she did it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like, yay! Uh-huh. I'm all these treats, and she's looking at me like, this is a crazy lady. <laughs> <laughs> And I got another thing I'll tell you about her is she, you know, she's 10, and I have a bed that Mother Golden gets on, and she wanted to get up, and I have a staircase there for her, and I showed her earlier on how to go up the steps, but she was totally resistant. That was probably Tuesday. Well, today she was up on the bed. They're playing to have a war together. You know, it's, it's what I think we learn from animals is that we have to be patient. Mm-hmm. As people, we wouldn't that quickly dive into a new home and feel totally safe, mm-hmm. you know, nor, nor does a dog. And I've actually talked to some of my clients about that if they've just adopted dogs by, you know, saying that we can't expect them to know what we know. And so we yeah. have to break things down into little steps, but also praise them when they're being successful, just exactly. like you would yourself as you're being successful. Exactly. And give them time and be patient with them. Don't get frustrated. They're not They're not doing it because they want to be disobedient. I mm-hmm. hate that whole stuff. It's like they, they want to please us, but they don't know what we want, and they mm-hmm. don't understand our communication. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and I think what's so neat is within a week, less than a week, she's already got our routine down. This is a dog that had a very different routine than I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, she's learned very quickly that routine ain't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> But not to make it hard for her, but we're 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 compromising. Yeah. You know, you went up at, out at five when, where you lived. Well, I don't get up at five, so maybe <laughs> we can get to seven. You know, could we work towards that? And we tried that, and we made it one day to seven. This was good. And the next day, maybe seven fifteen, maybe seven thirty. You know, being really patient with our dogs and honoring them for who they are—that's the most important thing. That we have to really respect them. And I know many trainers poo-poo language like in, intuition and and being intuitive and emotions. And I'm sorry, dogs have emotions. Mm, of course they do. Yeah, and that's the gift that they bring us. But the emotions are so clear and so direct, and they're not, they don't, they don't miscommunicate. We just have to know how to read them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're also talking Russian to them when they speak only dog, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think... It's so interesting to me that we have these expectations that they should just know sit. No, 
Yeah. You know, it doesn't work that way. Right. So. I've got a six-month, almost six-month-old golden retriever puppy, and uh-huh. uh, he has trained me well. And yeah. so this is the first dog I've had where I've worked from home. And it's been a good thing, but it's also been a challenge in a lot of ways because I do telehealth all day long. And so in between client sessions, I'll go and just walk around the house, which means, oh, a young puppy, just let him out. So he's gotten used to being let out every hour. So now as a six-month-old, he shouldn't have to be let out every hour. So yeah. he still goes to the door and sits and just stares at me and paces and goes to the back door. So, you know, I trained him, but now he has kind of trained me in, in different ways as well. And he's still three, three o'clock in the morning is when he wakes wakes me up and so it's learning to to retrain some of the things that have been ingrained by now but also it's it takes a lot of patience to go through that oh god yes puppies take a lot that's why exactly why i don't place puppies with my clients and i think at first i was very against crate training but what i've learned is first of all think of it not as a crate it's their safe space yeah and for puppies i i think it's a magical thing it is and What's what? Or it doesn't have to be a crate. Like Echo is the ten-year-old that I was just speaking up. Mm-hmm. She has a she's a bed, and that she just goes to her bed. Fine, mm-hmm. but we have to have time out. <laughs> yeah, you know, and we all do that kind of training. Like I, I was a fifty-minute hour person. Well, I still am, but you know, I'm on teletherapy now, and I mm-hmm. used to be in person. So I would go to the bathroom and take the dog out for the bath. So the 50 minutes he came. But they the difference was it was at work, so that they only did that when I was at work. And mm-hmm. that's the joy of having a, a separate space than your home. But we're not doing that anymore because of COVID. So, yeah, I think it's being real careful to not get into patterns because they are so routine mm-hmm. that then they, they learn that pattern. And that's why this the echo was only fed one meal a day well my dog gets two meals a day and one in the morning and one in the evening i'm not changing that for echo she's 10 years old she mm-hmm. get her night meal and during the morning she get, i do put her in the crate while the other dog is eating because she eats out of a training treat game <laughs> so yeah it's really it's tough it and, is tough but they teach us we teach them and we end up yep, working it out back and forth yeah and sometimes we, we 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 train them like i have a great story my other golden that, that passed before I got Echo. She loved going to the kitty little box. Well, this other pup that I have now, Kaya, she would go running after Ahava and kind of like uh, teach sheep herder, herder from going into the kitty little box because mommy's going to come and not be happy. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny because Kaya saw me do that. So she decided <laughs> that's my job. I got to keep her out of the kitty little box. <laughs> Very fun. It's so funny how they they learn from us, and mm-hmm. we don't even realize what we're teaching them sometimes. Yeah, oh, that's, that's right. That's what's fascinating. Yeah, you know, my dog. She's a. Oh well, you'll find this probably with your golden too. They eat everything. They're hoovers. What we find was and is, and she loves acorns. She thinks they're delicious, and I don't think they're very healthy for her. So she taught me. <laughs> well, I taught her to drop it. But really, rather than it really teaching her to drop it, she learned. She she was teaching me. I'm going to pick up every acorn I see because I get a treat afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, who's the <laughs> fool, you know? <laughs> right, right. Oh, it's pretty funny. <laughs> well, I um, share one, one brief story before we, we come to a close, but I took my puppy when he was eh, a few months old, uh, swimming, and he went underneath the shade tree and was covered with tree sap from head to toe and tried everything to get it off. And we did a Google uh, Internet search and found out it's olive oil. So I doused him with an entire bottle of olive oil and <laughs> gave him a bath. It meat, you know, came out. I had to use my comb. But the other day, he's decided to gather up all the pine cones in my backyard that are covered with sap. And so as I grabbed these sappy pine cones, I immediately thought, okay, I've got olive oil. So here we're cleaning up again. And so it's it's interesting how we just, we learn so little you, things through you, that. Do you think he likes it? Is it a he? It's a he, yes. Do you think he likes to smell the olive oil? Probably so. <laughs> it smells like Italian dressing now. I think you're getting sapped a lot. Right. <laughs> Oh, dogs uh, are great. They well, are comical. I know. It's like, oh, my God, I should tell you a story then. about uh, My dog loved dead fish. I mean, dead fish to roll in. <laughs> it was not a pretty smell. So we would take her to this beautiful place to run free on the beach, and she would come back <laughs> thinking of dead fish because she would roll in them. And for some reason, they had some dead fish out there. And she would come and get in the car, and it would be a three-hour drive back with the car stinking of dead fish. Well, my friend, I went to their house afterwards because we were going to give her a bath outside, or no, in their in their basement, because they had a basement. They could uh, do a shower for her, which would be great, not make my whole bathroom covered in this. And, you know, the old days they recommended tomato. Remember tomato mm-hmm. juice? which was totally ridiculous and horrible. But to make a long story short, all she had was calamari. Oh, gosh. And the calamari, the V8 with calamari or something. That was, uh, it had tomato juice, but had, like, I don't know, all kinds of goodies. So we bathed her in that. And, oh, my God, she comes home and she smells like shrimp. and (laughs) (laughs) What a combination. Oh, I was oh, like, it's goodness. like I got, I got the dog that got skunked, you know, yeah. when I got a thing. <laughs> oh, the joys of dogs. I so, know. the healing companions, uh, back to my why I'm here. This has been fun. Healing Companions is a nonprofit 501c3, and we are very blessed. We have an amazing board of directors that have done tremendous work for us and really changed our organization to be a much more known organization and have helped with getting donors and all those kinds of things. And I just want to mention that if people want to learn about us, our email is jmiller at oberlin.net. I believe you're going to have that available to them. As well as they can go to our website, Mm -hmm. healing-companions.org. And we have a newsletter. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can also use our Amazon Smiles links so that every time you purchase something from Amazon, 2% of what you spend without you spending anything extra comes directly from Amazon, and that goes to our organization. And Mm -hmm. I will tell you, we've gotten huge amounts of money through Amazon Smiles when people just are shopping and doing what they always do. And there are many organizations that have Amazon Smiles that you can donate money to but we would love it if you help us, obviously. 
Um, we also have many, many volunteers, and volunteers can do all kinds of things. Some do graphics work for us. Some mm-hmm. do blog writing for us. Some do social media. One of our volunteers does our Twitter account. Another one does our Facebook page. There are many ways to help us, and we're always loving to have people join in, and we're also always looking for donations. So awesome. that's my little yeah. uh, marketing tool thing there. And those will be in the show notes, so any links you know you can find later in the show that notes. That mm-hmm. So Jane, is there anything else that you'd like to share about your work? Just feel free to call me, email me. I love what I do, and I love sharing about it. I would really, I'm starting to educate other therapists on how to integrate dogs in their practices Mm -hmm. as well as service dogs. I just recently have gotten a number of psychotherapists that are interested in becoming dog trainers and becoming men's service dog trainers. Good. And it's so needed. We, We need this organization to be available everywhere because... We can't just provide dogs for people from all over. Mm -hmm. You know, it's only this, we only are able to help people that are local because they come to our office once a week Mm -hmm. for an hour for training. Mm -hmm. It limits it, but it also makes it very specialized and tailored to each individual. Okay. So they can just contact you if they have questions about how to start that up wherever they are. Yes. Yes. Awesome. I would definitely like to help. Terrific. And I w- hope that all my questions were answered. All they the questions were. You had and everybody else. And I look forward to hearing from people. And I thank you for this wonderful opportunity. And please, just church every moment you get with your dogs. They don't live forever, nor do we. And every moment is a gift with them. They really enhance their lives in a way that very few other things can. Well, Jane, thank you so much for being on this podcast and for the work you do in the world. Thank you. Take care. The experience of being young, making a grand goal, and making it happen is far too rare in life. Telling oneself that, I want to be Jane Goodall, it was the start of a lifetime of motion to achieve a grand goal, and Jane Miller did it. When you look back at the lives you've helped, the animals you've had the pleasure to make companions, and then your own life, we can all hope to only be so lucky. Life's perspective can be quite simple. Ask a dog about it sometime. We are the ones that make things so very complex. Jane shares that when it comes to the human-animal bond, we, as I've shared in every podcast, end up learning from each other. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Detailed contact information and links for each of the guests and resources provided inside this episode can be found at my website, animalacademypodcast.com. I'm Allison White, licensed clinical social worker specializing in the human-animal connection. Let's share and learn from the animals in the next episode of the Animal Academy Podcast.